Today on The Open Word with Pastor David Landry. The word, the phrase that he uses there, and this is what I want your attention to be drawn to, when he says we are called for the work of the ministry, the word that he uses for ministry is that same word that we've been talking about, about deacons. He says, for the equipping of the work of diakonos, of service. We are called to be equipped for all of us for that work of service to one another, as well as service to our community. We, as the church, are called for that purpose. We come together in the meetings as the local church to be equipped, to be encouraged, to be edified for that work of ministry, the work of diakonos, the work of service together. It can be fairly easy for us to think of going to church as a means of receiving rather than a place of giving. Whether it's been a while since we've served or we're going through a tough time, we sometimes attend church with selfish motives. In today's message, Pastor David reminds us of our calling as believers to be actively engaged in building each other up. In our study, we learn the importance of both serving our own community as well as the communities around us. And here's Pastor David with part one of today's message, Servants and Pillars. Most of you know what deja vu means. It's like, you know, I, I've either been there before, or I've heard that before. Actually, a pastor friend of ours from years ago, he says, uh, I think of the, the term vujade. And I said, vujade, well, what does that mean? I, I've never been there before, I've never heard that before. <laughs> so you have to know Bob's mindset on that. He's just kind of a crazy guy. But deja vu, the thing that, that I've heard that before. Well, some of you are going to kind of feel deja vu a little bit this morning because we are still in the area of chapter 3 of 1 Timothy. We're still dealing with the areas and the instruction that Paul gives Timothy in reference to the teachings toward elders and deacons. So again, as, as we look back through this, that issue of deacons within the early church, how that looked, but also how it needs to be looking within the church of today. And as I said, our text is found in 1 Timothy chapter 3. I invite you to go there and then bear with me as you open it to 1 Timothy chapter 3, put a bulletin there, and then go over to Ephesians 4. Because though we are going to be in 1 Timothy 3, we're going to do a little bit of background today in Ephesians 4. Ephesians, that's the church that Timothy is pastoring. That's the church that, as Paul is writing Timothy, Timothy is there in the midst of it. Now, in the book of Ephesians, Paul is writing to the church there in Ephesus, and he's emphasizing the work of the ministry and the need for the whole body of Christ to function as one together. Not that there's all these guys that are doing the work and then others just come and ride, but the whole body functioning together. 
as they share and as they live out the gospel there in the community of that great city of Ephesus. So if you found Ephesus or Ephesians, the book of Ephesians, you ought to be in chapter four. And we're going to begin looking in verse one, Ephesians chapter four, verse one. Paul writes to him, he says, I, therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I beseech you, I, I, I plead with you, I urge you most, most strongly, I beseech you that you walk worthy of the calling with which you're called. He's writing, understand, he's not writing to the elders of Ephesus, he's not writing to the deacons of Ephesus, he, he's writing to the body of believers, the, the church itself. And he's telling them, I urge you to walk in a manner that's worthy of the calling that is on your life. Every believer that is called into the kingdom of God, that's who Paul is writing about. That's the urgency of it. He says, you and I as believers, we need to be walking with all lowliness. That's a humility. That's that understanding of humility in our lives with with gentleness, with long-suffering. Bearing with one another in love. Why do you need to bear with me? Because I blow it once in a while. Why do I need to bear with you? Because on rare occasion, you will blow it once in a while. We need to bear with each other. And that comes with that whole mindset of humility that comes with long suffering, that comes with that whole idea of gentleness toward each other. Bearing with one another in love and enduring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. And again, we work together as this small portion of the body of Christ to build unity within the body, to bring peace within the body, and that's a requirement for every part of the body. He goes on in verse four, he says, because there's one body, there is one spirit, just as you were called with one hope of your calling. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is above all and through all and in all y'all. That's if Paul was writing from the South. He is in you all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. Grace was given to each one of us in a measure. There's different callings, different giftings, Paul will get into that as he continues on here in Ephesus. But again, it's the grace of God that's been poured out on all of us. Look down, if you would, drop down to verse 11. And he, Christ himself, gave some to be apostles, some to be prophets, others as evangelists, and some pastors and teachers. And why did he do that? For the equipping of the saints. Well, who are the saints? Who is he talking about? The ones in the stained glass? The ones that have been carved out of marble or or poured into concrete, they stand out there at the fountain? No, he's talking about you and I as believers because as believers in Jesus Christ, we are all called saints. St. George and, uh, you know, it's uh, uh, St. Rose. You you go all around. We, We are called to be saints together. So again, for the equipping of the saints, God gifted the church for the equipping of all y'all, okay, all of us together. For what? For the work of ministry, for the edifying, that's for the building up, for the encouragement, for the edifying of the body of Christ 
till we all come to the unity of the faith, to the knowledge of the Son of God, to a perfect or a fully mature man, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ. Paul's desire and the Lord's desire for us is that we as a church keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, calling for there to be one body and one spirit. And Christ has designed that greater body of Christ to meet together in smaller local congregations. Now, when we come in these local congregations, it becomes a training ground for us. We are being equipped. We are being ministered to in these smaller congregations. God has appointed to the church the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers for that precise purpose of equipping us, equipping the saints for the work of ministry. Now, when Paul talks about this purpose of equipping the saints for the work of the ministry, the word, the phrase that he uses there, and this is what I want your attention to be drawn to, when he says we are called for the work of the ministry, the word that he uses for ministry is that same word that we've been talking about, about deacons. He says, for the equipping of the work of diakonos, of service. We are called to be equipped for all of us for that work of service to one another, as well as service to our community. We, as the church, are called for that purpose. We come together in the meetings as the local church to be equipped, to be encouraged, to be edified for that work of ministry, the work of diakonos, the work of service together. And because of that, the church through the years, as we become in some ways more refined and we become organized, we, we see that early on in church history that the, again, the structure of the church began to be formed. It became organized and, and structured in order that the work of the church might be more complete and might be more thorough, both among itself as well as within the community. There's a fellow by the name of Jamie Dunlop. He's an assisting pastor at Capitol Hill Baptist Church in Washington, D.C. He writes a blog about various things going on within the church, particularly one that he wrote about in this area of deacons and ministry and service to the church. I love how he put it. He says, elders lead ministry, deacons facilitate the ministry, but the congregation is the one that does ministry. So again, it's all in the structure of all of us working together in the ministry, in the service of Christ for the church as well as for the community that we live in. Back in Acts 6, we've looked at this several times over the last couple of weeks. Back in Acts 6, we see these seven men, these seven men that were appointed for the daily administration of the needs of these widows for that distribution of the food for them. Then we move ahead a, a, a couple of centuries, and uh, along as the church grows, then we start reading in what's called secular church history. We don't find it in our Bible because it was after the Bible was written, but secular church history shows that the role of the deacons become more and more defined and refined as the church grew till pretty soon it was the job of the deacons to go and visit those who had been placed in prison for their faith. It was the role of the deacons to prepare the dead for burial. It was the role of the deacons to provide for the widows, and it was the role of the deacons to minister to the sick. And their ministry to the sick was so much that in AD 
258. There was a huge plague that, that struck through that area and through the whole Roman Empire. Many people were dead. But we find, again, through secular church history, that it was the deacons that went out and visited the sick. And as a matter of fact, the writings say that they went and they visited the sick fearlessly. And it also said that they died with them joyously because they would go and visit them while they had that plague and they would catch it themselves. But they knew that they had to minister the truth of God and the hope and the love of God to those that were even sick. You would think that there probably wasn't too many people in line for that ministry of deacon. No, I'm not, not going to do that. But actually, just the opposite was true. Multitude of people within the congregations and within the cities, within the church bodies there, were serving in that very area, serving those in great need. Okay, so now we've laid that foundation this morning. Now let's get back to 1 Timothy chapter 3. And once again, we're going to read the requirements of those that are called into that service and then organized in a structured way, that service, that diakonos, called as deacons. After giving us a similar list of requirements for the elders, Paul, or for the overseers and the bishops, Paul now gives this list of requirements for the deacons, beginning in verse 8. Paul writes, likewise deacons. Well, what's the likewise? Well, similar to what I just shared with you about the bishops or the overseers, the requirements there. And he says, now likewise, the deacons must be reverent. They have to have a mind for the things of God, not double-tongued. In other words, they're not saying one thing over here and another thing over there. Not given to much wine, just as we shared with the elders. Not addicted to wine, not controlled. They've stayed, uh, uh, again, controlling, controlled in their life. Not greedy for money. Their focus of their life is not for wealth and, and, and riches. Holding the mystery of the faith with a pure conscience. In other words, they, as they walk in their life, as they live their life as believers, they have a pure conscience before man and before God because they know where their heart is. Verse 10 says, but let those also be first tested. And again, uh, just as for the elders or for the bishops, for the overseers, not a new believer, let them be tested. Look out and see. You know, that, that, that individual, they're doing the service. They're doing the ministry of a deacon right now. And so that's the ones that you want to place. You don't wait for them to get a title and then become service-minded. No, you look for those who are service-minded and people-minded, then put them in that place. Let them first be tested. Then let them serve as deacons being found blameless. So in other words, within their life, there's nothing that the enemy can grab hold of and accuse them of. Now, as we looked at these things last week, we saw that those that were appointed as deacons, whether it be the Acts 6 passage or even here as Paul is writing to Timothy, these were men of strong and tested Christian character in every sense of the word. The calling and the position of both the bishop, elder, pastor, as well as the calling and the position of the deacon. Guys, you need to understand, you need to remember that this calling in their lives, it is a serious reflection of Christ to the church as well as to the community around us. One of the things you never want to happen is when the community looks out and says, oh, he's an elder at your church? Holy moly. Or, oh, he's serving, as, you, you let him serve as a deacon of your church? Wow, 
I wouldn't even let him serve any. You know, you, you want to make sure that the reflection of Christ is being lived out already, both within the walls of the church as well as within the community for those that take the position of bishops, overseers, pastors, elders, and or deacons. Paul moves on, verse 11. He says, likewise, the women must be reverent, have a heart and mind for the things of God, not slanderers. In other words, they're not backbiters. They're not telling stories. They're not, they're not gossipers. They're not murmurs. They need to be temperate. In other words, there's a balance in their lives. They're not swung all the way one way and one day and all the way the other day. The next day, there's a temperateness and faithful in all things. And again, their life is a demonstration of their love for the Lord. Now, once we get here, right here in verse 11, we actually enter into a situation where the church through the ages is, is greatly divided. There's, there's, a, there's a lot of, uh, again, variance of opinion and understanding here. Is Paul speaking about deacons' wives or is he speaking about women who serve as deacons? Let me take a moment here to help you kind of see a little bit of uh, what's, what's kind of below the surface in the midst of it. First of all, if we look at various translations, let me ask you here this morning, how many of you have before you a King James Version, a regular King James Version, okay? How many of you a New King James Version? And some of you might have an NIV and uh, let's see, what else might there be? Uh, uh, English Standard Version, any of those? Okay, so we've, got a, we, so we've even got a variance right here this morning. Well, in the King James Version, it says, even so must their wives. It says their wives. In the New King James Version, which is what I have, likewise, their wives. It says, no, it's the deacon's wives. The ESV says, their wives likewise. The Holman Christian Standard Bible says, their wives too. As a matter of fact, most of the English translations that we have speak of these women as wives of the deacons. However, the Greek word that Paul uses, and here's where the, here's where the contention or the confusion or the division comes. The Greek word that he uses there is gune. Gune, and it's actually from that Greek word, it goes to the Latin and then it comes to our English as gynecological or gynecologist, a women's doctor. The word is women, gune. Likewise, the women. He doesn't use the word wives. Paul writes, likewise, the women. So you wonder, well, is, is he speaking that a woman could be a deacon? Well, we go to another source, and that's Romans chapter 16. You don't need to turn there, but you can mark that down. But in Romans chapter 16, verses 1 and 2, we read of Phoebe, a woman there in the church that Paul considers to be a diakonos, a servant. Now, again, in the translations that we have, it reads, I commend to you our sister Phoebe, who is a servant of the church, which is at Centuria. Now, the interesting thing, he uses the exact same word there that he uses in Timothy that our translations translate as deacon. So why wouldn't it be our sister Phoebe, who is a deacon of the church of or which is at Centuria. 
It's the same word. So there's where the question comes. There's where the debate comes. And to be as faithful to Scripture as we can be, rather than relying upon the traditions of men, we need to see that here in verse 11 of 1 Timothy chapter 3, Paul could very well be speaking either about the wives of deacons or women who serve in that capacity. Arguments can be made on both sides. Most of our translation lean more to wives of deacons. But again, as we fully understand that the ministry of the deacon as a ministry of service to the body of Christ and to the community around us, that the deacon is not a position of power and authority within the church, well, my personal understanding, my personal belief is that that ministry within the church, it could be filled by both men and women because it is a ministry of service. And guys, I don't know if you've recognized this or not, but women have it all over us when it comes to areas of service. Why wouldn't it and why couldn't it be? Now, if you have a problem with that, if you have a, a concern with that, because you've always understood, well, it's the deacons that run the church. Well, the problem is you got a wrong understanding of what deacons are or the churches that you've been in in the past have a wrong understanding of the biblical place of deacons. So again, don't get mad. Just come see me. We can talk about it. But for now, let's move on. And I don't know if you realize this or not, but this particular chapter here in 1 Timothy has been a very difficult one to preach through. We've dealt with a lot of issues here in just a short number of verses. We've dealt with divorce and remarriage. We've dealt with the consumption or the abuse of alcohol. We are now dealing with women in ministry. And so a lot of issues here that are very contentious within the church. So if you're still with us by the end of this study, bless you. Thank you. Hang in there. We'll continue on. So let's do continue on. First Timothy chapter 3, verse 12. Paul gets back to the deacons themselves. Deacons need to be the husbands of one wife. And even as we shared about the bishops, the overseers of the elders, that's not saying he has to be married. It's not saying he could have never been divorced. What they're saying is, again, that idea of being a one-woman man. He's got to rule his children and his own households well. This whole idea of a one-woman man, that means that there's no physical or emotional ties outside of his wife if he is married. And if he's not married, he needs, again, he cannot be one who is flirtatious. He cannot be a player. He cannot be in any way loose with his biblical moral standards. As a single individual, he needs to live his life celibate. In other words, again, living his life for the Lord at that point in time. Now, as Paul ends up his requirements here for the deacons, he tells Timothy that there's actually a reward for those who serve faithfully in that ministry as deacons. Look at verse 13. For those who have served well as deacons, they obtain for themselves a, a good standing and, and great boldness in the faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Good standing and a great boldness in the faith. I, I think that was the case when we look at Stephen. Remember, we talked of Stephen, I think it was last week. Stephen, one of those first ones in Acts 6 that were appointed to the service of the widows, a man of great godly character and a man very bold in his faith, so bold he stood before the elders and the scribes declaring the truth of the hope of the gospel even to the point that they ended up stoning him. Yeah, if you're going to be a deacon doing it well, you need to understand that as you faithfully serve that area, 
in service to the body. If your heart is right before God, and as you serve Him in faithfulness, beloved, that's going to be a condition, that's going to be a place where you are going to be blessed by God because you're faithful to His calling in your life. There's so much to learn from the pages of 1 Timothy, but sadly, we've come to the conclusion of today's message with Pastor David. You don't have to wait to hear another edition of The Open Word. Simply visit our website at theopenword.com and click on Teachings to download several past messages taught by Pastor David. You can also subscribe to our podcast to get each teaching as soon as it's made available. We're so glad you're part of our listening audience, and we'd love to connect with you. Find us on Facebook, learn more about us at theopenword.com, or just give us a call. We love hearing from our listeners. Our phone number is 520-836-9676. That's 520-836-9676. And if you live in or are visiting the Casa Grande area, Pastor David has an invitation just for you. Thanks, Chris. I'd like to personally invite you to join us here at Calvary Chapel of Casa Grande for a time of worship, fellowship, and studying the Bible. We meet every Sunday at 9 o'clock and at 11 o'clock a.m. and on Wednesdays and Saturday at 7.30 p.m. You can find our address and directions by visiting theopenword.com and following the links to our church page. I look forward to meeting you in person and sharing this journey of faith with you. Thanks, Pastor David, and thank you for tuning in to The Open Word today. May God bless your continuing study of God's Word Join us next time for more from 1 Timothy right here on The Open Word.